everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Tennis One podcast. I'm Madison Golden, co-hosted alongside Patrick Huell. Welcome into the Tennis One app. Hey guys, thanks for uh, joining our uh, our podcast. We're excited. We're on Spotify now, so we're uh, Tennis One app and Spotify. You can listen to this. Thanks for checking us out. And we're going to dive into, of course, the finals of the Australian Open. But before we do that, something that made headlines this week was uh, just in regards to Novak Djokovic's father and kind of what happened with that. So we're going to go ahead and just start right off the bat with that break, break it down and just present you with all the facts um, on that first, since it obviously made headlines all over social media. So essentially what happened was a YouTube account showed Novak Djokovic's father posing with a man holding a Putin flag and other fans holding banned Russian flags and the video was captioned, Novak Djokovic's father makes a bold political statement. Obviously, Novak's father came in and he made a statement, issued a statement of his own saying that he is here. I am here to support my son only. I had no intention of causing such headlines or disruption. I was outside with Novak's fa- fans as I have done for all of my son's matches to celebrate his wins and take pictures with them. I had no intention of being caught up in this. My family has lived through the horror of war and we wish only for peace. And then he further went on and said, so there is no disruption to tonight's semifinal match for my son or for the other player. I have chosen to watch from home. I wish for a great match and I will be cheering for my son as always. End quote. So that's what his father said. And then um, Novak in his press conference following the semifinal match had this to say. Well, I, yeah, I saw as everybody else saw what what happened uh, yesterday, and uh, it was unfortunate that uh, the misinterpretation of what happened yesterday has escalated to to such a high level there, where there was, um, um, I would say, a lot of conversations with the tournament director, with media, and everyone else. So. It got. It has got to me, of course, as well, and uh, I was not aware of it until last night. Uh, and then, of course, I, I was not pleased to see that. Um, uh, my father, my whole family, and myself have been through several wars during the 90s. So, as my father put in a statement, we're against the war. We never will support any violence or any war. We know how devastating that is for the family, for people in any country that is going through the war. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that my father, as he said in a statement, has been going after every single match to meet with my fans at the main square here in Australian Open uh, to thank them for the support, uh, to be with them, uh, pay them respect and make photos. And... uh, the photo that he made, he was passing through. Um, I heard what he said in the in the video. He said cheers, and unfortunately, some of the media has interpreted that in a, in a really wrong way. So I'm sorry that um, that has escalated so much. But uh, I hope people understand that uh, there was absolutely no intention whatsoever um, to support any kind of. Uh, war initiatives or anything like that you know uh my father as i said was passing through and there was a lot of serbian flags around and that's what he thought he thought he was making photo with somebody you know from serbia and that's it he moved on um of course that it's not pleasant for me to to go through this uh with all the things that i had to deal with you know uh last year and this year in australia so it's not something that i want or need and i hope that people will uh, let it be and uh, we can focus on tennis yeah so that was novak following his semi-final match and obviously a sensitive subject and something that caused a lot of heat in the tennis community and a lot of people um, were angered and really upset by this and obviously caused a lot of controversy um patrick just kind of what did you see you know being so heavily involved in social media during the Australian Open and just kind of what how people reacted to this and and what you think of Novak's statement and his father's statement. 
Yeah, so like you said, this happened after the the quarterfinal win over Andre Rublev. And it was, you know, this video was posted to YouTube on sort of a pro-Russia, pro-Russia account. And um, so there was a lot of quick reporting on it. And it's hard to to really know, like looking back, what what was accurate, you know, at the time when it when the story first broke, um, the people that were reporting it were saying that after Novak's dad took the picture with these uh, with these people at the tournament that he said, long live Russia as he walked away, which obviously that is um, <laughs> that is a bold political statement. If that was the case, um, as I think a lot of people just heard in the clip we played from Novak, Novak said that his dad didn't say that, that his dad simply just said cheers. And that actually I saw that from some other uh, people that speak the language on Twitter before Novak's statement came out that, that he had just said cheers when he took the picture. But, you know, it's um, it's tough because like, you know, on one hand, it sounds like, you know, Novak saying his dad just is being nice to his fans, taking pictures, things like that. Um, but when you see that video, yes, are the flags similar colors to the Russia flag? They are, but you know, there was a flag with Putin's face on it. Um, he's quite recognizable, I would say. So it's, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough to, tough to say he, uh, Djokovic obviously very well-spoken and, um, you know, if you, if you take him at his word there, then, you know, it, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Uh, I think this is the absolute last thing that Novak wanted going into, um, the late stages of this tournament. He, uh, has sort of been on a, you know, goodwill campaign down in Australia this month coming off, you know, being deported last year. Yeah. Wasn't totally sure what his crowd reception was going to be like at the first tournament in Adelaide, but he, it was, it was really strong. And honestly it has been strong sort of this whole month. Um, he's had a ton of fans there. I haven't really heard many boos, if any at all. Um, so it's, yeah, I, he's sort of just been trying to charm everyone, everybody, and and he's very good at that. Um, but you know, this is just another thing on the Djokovic list of him sort of taking one step forward and two steps back. You know, that's kind of how I've always thought of him um, because he's a guy that man, he's so good at tennis and. He is often likable when you when you listen to him speak, and um, he's he's very good speaker, very smart guy, really smart, yeah, super intelligent, yeah. But then you know, I mean, uh, obviously, I for this podcast, I was doing some research just back into his controversies because, frankly, there's just so many that I couldn't remember them all. You know, like you can remember the most recent ones, but you know, they they sort of date back to like even 2008. Um, he was. You know, taking multiple medical timeouts during matches, uh, I think against Tommy Rebredo, and then he was coming up against Roddick, and R Roddick was kind of famous for saying that, um, you know, Djokovic had two hurt ankles, bird flu, and SARS, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of being the very direct Roddick that he is. Um, so that was kind of, you know, the the first one that I, I could remember and uh, and found, and that was just a that was just, you know, something that a lot of people do, frankly. So, you know, but then most recently, I think even before, you know, he hit the ball or the, not sorry, the ball, the umpire in the throat during the 2020 U.S. Open match before that, even in that same year, he had organized this Adria tour, which was sort of a it was for charity. Um, it was sort of an exhibition. And, you know, he had Zverev and Grigor and all these people there. But then these videos came out on social media of them like partying at a club, like kind of during peak pandemic. And the next thing you know, Grigor's got COVID and, you know, so when Joker's tries to do things for charity or whatever, it, it doesn't always go well. And, um, and then, like I said, the, the default of the 2020 U S open, uh, and then obviously the deportation last year for, um, right. coming in the country without being vaccinated. So, you know, it's just kind of like one step forward, two steps back. And um, I don't know, I, I listened to what he said. And like, you know, as we said, he, he's very good at speaking. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hope what he says is the total truth, you know. Um, but there is a lot of feedback on social media, of people saying, yeah, you know, you it's easy to say you're anti-war, but, you know, he doesn't denounce Putin specifically or Russia. You know, he never says those two words uh, in anything he says. Um, so. 
I don't know, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know what I, that I know what that situation's like. Um, sure. Especially coming from, you know, a, a country like Serbia. So, um, and he did grow up uh, during, during a war, you know, and uh, like literally bombs going off in the area that he lived and that's got to be insanely difficult. So um, yeah, to me, it, it does make me sort of believe what he said, but it's, I can certainly understand why it's not that easy for everyone to, to just say, Oh yeah. You know, thanks for saying that Novak. So yeah, what, did you, yeah. what did you think of what he said? I, I mean, I agree with you there. I think he's really well-spoken, but he's also very selective with his words, as I'm sure he's being advised to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, anything can be taken out of context. And I understand that he feels that his father's actions were taken out of context. But like we mentioned, you know, the flags, similar colors maybe, but very clearly displaying Putin's face. So it's just, you know, I mean, the the facts are there and- and unfortunately, his father was recorded posing with those fans, and you can't you can't really deny that. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, Novak handled the, the situation as best as he could, but obviously a very highly controversial situation. And I'm sure the Australian Open are just concerned for not only you know their staff, their players, but the fans. I mean, the safety mm -hmm. of people attending this event is obviously the top priority. So I'm sure this, you know, this added controversy, this close to the finals is not what they wanted. And it's not something that they want to be associated with. So um, obviously, we hope for the safety of everybody in, in attendance. And I hope that nothing, you know, further from this happens or anything. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know you just never, you never know you. It's, it's a scary place that we live in. And I just, Anytime there's controversial things like this that happen, I, I'm always concerned for the safety of those those involved. So, yeah, hundred um, percent. And unfortunately, Australian Open always seems to have to deal with something. You know, they um, even before right. COVID, they had these brush fires. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like the smoke was coming all the way to Melbourne, and like they had issues with that. And then you know all the stuff with COVID, they had the players doing the two-week lockdowns in the hotel rooms uh, before the tournament that one year, I think it was 2021. And then last year, you know, Novak not being able to, or being deported. So uh, and for, I don't know if it's just the first major of the year. And so they're the ones that have to iron out the kinks a lot of times, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so sort of unlucky, but good point on, on just fan safety. And it'll be interesting to yeah. see what Wimbledon does now, because, you know, there's a lot of talk a great about point. whether or not they're going to let the, the Russian and um, Belarusian players in the tournament. And uh, you know, this, this sort of thing happening right now will be an interesting spin. I don't think they'll make an announcement until much closer to the tournament. Obviously they want to sure. see what's going on with the war as you get close to Wimbledon. So It'll be interesting, but uh, yeah, good good move. Obviously, not having the, the father at the match um, because I think he, he while he does have a very strong uh, Serbian crowd there, um, yeah, he definitely would have gotten a little bit more negative reaction. I think if yeah if his dad was there, so and I, I I would assume that he'll probably stay away for the final as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean it's tough to say like that would make the most sense for him to not come. Right. But I also wonder, like, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Djokovic kind of thinks, okay, well, we dispelled this, you know, we made our statements, um, we're anti-war, da, da, da. So now it's going to be okay for my dad to be there. And, you know, they did make the trip all the way down to Australia and th their son's in the final. So, you know, they, they very much want to be there. So it'll, it'll be interesting if Novak thinks, you know, ultimately, I guess it'll be up to him to tell his dad whether or not he wants him to come. And uh, right, probably it's not easy telling your dad you don't want him to be there when you're playing the finals of a slam. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, some um, a little bit more controversial and maybe some negative things surrounding the Australian Open and Novak Djokovic in particular, but there are a lot of positives that still remain, obviously, our four finalists on the men's and women's side. So very exciting um, for singles and then of course doubles as well. So we'll get into that, but for now we will just take a short break. Hey guys, welcome back to the Tennis One Podcast. We just were talking about the Novak Djokovic situation with his father. Uh, not the attention the tournament wanted, but 
you know, still necessary to talk about it. We now want to get into some of the fun stuff of the tournament after watching the the quarters and semis play out over the last couple of days. We picked three things that we learned from from the quarters and semis at Australian Open. Kind of want to count them down. We'll we'll start from number three here. Uh, and I think one one of the things that really stood out to me watching these matches and and just honestly coming off the back of last year was the U.S. men. You know, it's it's going to be a storyline all year for sure. You know, we had we had a lot of strong player, a lot of strong results at Wimbledon, even last year, multiple players making the fourth round. I think Tiafo and Tommy Paul did. And then U S open, obviously Tiafo making the semis. And now we followed it up with literally three players in the quarterfinals. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're getting closer all the time. And uh, you know, we had, we had Sebastian Corda, Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton in the, in the quarters. I would say out of those three, Sebi Corda right now is is probably the best, um, or at least playing the best tennis. I think he he had definitely the best chance. Too bad he had that wrist injury because the guy was uh, oh, playing. That's so sad. I'm and, so uh, crushed. I know he's playing such good tennis, coming off winning, not winning, sorry, taking second at, at the Adelaide International One event um, where he had match point on Djokovic. He's man, he's just hitting the ball so clean. He had several big wins, you know, beat Medvedev at the Australian Open, several big wins, her catch, you know, and his issue has kind of been his met, you know, his mental ability to close out matches in the past. You know, he he was serving for the match against Nadal one time and lost. He had the match point against Djokovic and lost. But in this in Australian Open, when he was given the chance to close it out. It wasn't always easy. He didn't do it on the first try sometimes, but he he did close out these matches. And, um, you know, between that and just how he strikes the ball, it's just, he is definitely a top five, probably cleanest hitter on the tour. And uh, when you hear the ball come off his racket, you can, you can really hear that. So that's too bad. He had the wrist injury. Hopefully it's, it's nothing serious. Cause oh man, knock on wood, we've uh, seen some <laughs> wrist injuries go bad for tennis players. So yeah, I he's not a player that you want to see out for very long. That's for sure. Especially after this yeah. run. I know. So hopefully the, the test that he gets done, all you know, don't show anything too serious and just maybe a little bit of overwork or something. So we'll see on that. Um, Tommy Paul, you know, he's, he's been having, super strong results the last 12 months. Um, this is a guy who turned pro, I think 2015 at the U S open. And, um, you know, definitely a guy that people talked about as like a promising up and coming American. And, you know, he was just kind of a party boy. He, he kind of, uh, <laughs> and understandably, you know, he was like, whatever, 18 when he turned pro, maybe 17. I can't even remember now, you know, that's, that's how it goes. I think you're not, very rare that you get somebody like Carlos Alcaraz, who is um, the maturity <laughs> yeah, that he to, has is crazy. Yeah. Mature beyond his years. So um, yeah, that was a little understandable, but I think now, you know, Tommy, it, it's well-documented how much time he's spending in the gym and, and you can really see how good of shape he's in, how fast he is. Um, he's just, he looks like a professional tennis player now rather than just kind of a um, I don't know, almost a kid that is really good at tennis and um, <laughs> kid can knock off some top guys when he's on. But um, no, he's he had a great tournament. Unfortunately, he ran into Buzzsaw Novak. And, um, you know, he I mean, watching the match, he surprisingly had chances in the first set. He was down like five two. Um, it was just one break, but he was down five two, got it back to five all and was serving up 30 love to go to a, a first set tie break. And, um, I think at 30, 15 Cahill said, this is, this is a very dangerous moment in this game for Tommy Paul. He literally said it on the air. He said, I see that look in Novak's eyes that I've seen before. Um, and they showed Novak and sure enough, there's that lockdown mode face where you just like, you know, the guy is not going to miss a tennis ball and Cahill was dead on and, and Djokovic from down love 30 came back to win the game, uh, basically won four straight points. So, uh, yeah, good run for Tommy, you know, he very was good, understandably a little, little downtrodden in his, um, press conference, but you yeah, know, what? That's... he was a little down. It was, it was, 
it's tough. Like you said, it's, you never want to see Novak on your half of the draw or at least until yeah. the final. I mean, that's tough, but yeah, it's a good um, run for him. Yeah. Great run for sure. So hopefully um, he can keep it up. He said he doesn't want to be a one hit wonder and uh, nobody wants him to be a one hit wonder. So keep it going, Tommy. That was, that was a great run. Yeah. And I thought it was cool um, that he shared that special moment with Ben Shelton after the match when Ben was cooling down on the bike and he went over to him and hugged him and hugged Ben's team. I thought that was class act and a lot of respect between the two. And I, I just thought that was, you don't see that with everybody. So I feel like the yeah. American men and women actually are just kind of united in that sense. And obviously American women, Jess Pagula out in the quarters, tough tough to see and I I learned the hard way that I just can't speak about anything because all of my predictions were wrong and they were out after literally that same night so I think we picked her back didn't we we picked her oh yeah true but (laughs) and then quarter to be fair quarter was hurt so that (laughs) that also um doesn't fully count as as a miss no Um, but yeah but that uh yeah we both picked Pagula I think um you know, maybe we were victims of picking sort of who we wanted to see win rather than yeah, who we who maybe actually <laughs> actually thought was going to win. Um, <laughs> you know, as as Arenka's won the tournament twice, she just has more experience in the later stages of of majors than Jess does, regardless of how consistent Jess has been and all the great results she's had. Um, you know, other than doubles, still hasn't uh, made it to the very very end of a of a slam. So. Yeah, Azarenka just came out like uh, I sort of just thought of that quote from Mike Tyson, where it's like everybody has a plan till they get punched <laughs> in the mouth, and that's <laughs> that's kind of how it looked in that match. Azarenka just came out hot out of the gate, just playing super aggressive, getting everything, like just running every ball down. And uh, Pagula kind of didn't know what to do. You know, she was she was several times looking at her box. She's kind of stunned, like yeah. Um, and having you know she beat her at the I believe 2021 Australian Open first round Pagula did um, so you know you were kind of hoping that that could that could translate but that was the first round and this is the uh, that was the quarters so yeah and she was the favorite you know being the right. highest remaining seed left like just knowing that oh Pressure. wow like this is the best chance I'm ever gonna have to win a slam is right now Ugh. uh yeah too bad but you know it just said great results and uh just keep it going yes she's, to build she's, off of uh, that the most likable person on tour for I think, sure and obviously it was crushing too to see her and coco not make the final but uh, yeah i know i know so unfortunately both of them are out and uh, you know everybody sort of i think had very high expectations especially coco i think and she had high expectations of herself um you could see how disappointed she was when oh. she lost it was um, so sad. She was holding yeah. back tears. She handled, but I mean, same, so young. same thing with the maturity. She handles everything so well beyond her years. And yeah, yeah, she'll go far too. And in, in this, in this year, it'll be a good, hopefully yeah. a good year for American women as well. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, we, we can't, we can't, uh, ignore Ben Shelton here. I think, um, certainly not, man. To li- I mean, I just can't imagine being the first time you've ever left the country and you make the quarterfinals of the Australian <laughs> Open. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, people will say, oh, he didn't face anybody like ranked super high until like even Tommy Paul, I guess, was the highest ranked player he faced. But he beat some players that were really hot. I mean, Nico Jari in the first round is not an easy first round. Um, the guy has been hurt for the last couple of years. And so that's, the only reason he's like ranked as low as he is um, and then fought off a match point against him. And like his run could have literally ended in the first round and, yeah. uh, and, you know, people would have just maybe said, Oh, like, you know, there's a lot of hype around Ben Shelton. We'll see if he can produce in majors, but the kid did. And he uh, did. Uh, I mean, that serve is like, I, I was pretty convinced on Ben Shelton, but just after watching this, like his serve <laughs> is huge and it's just going to yeah. keep him in. I mean, it's going to keep him in any match. I mean, I think he had a 68 game hold streak. They said that's so, crazy. Um, and several times against Tommy, you know, coming back from behind in the game, like just coming up with big serves at one point, you know, Tommy looked at his box and was like, which way should I lean? Cause he, <laughs> he couldn't, it was hard he to couldn't read. do anything. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So if you hit, the, if you can hit in the one forties and your service hard to read, that's uh, phew, that's deadly. So, and the, and the kid's just not in Shelton's not in pro shape yet. You know, he's, he's in good shape, but he's For not sure. in like the shape that Tommy Paul is. And again, he's been on the tour less than a year. So that's understandable. So it'll, it'll be dangerous once he um, kind of gets that going and, and maybe works on the return a little more. Um, cool. Watch out. Cause he's a, man, he's a force and he's going to have the fans behind him. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like we talked about on Monday, just how likable he is and just, you know, that stems from his family and how he was raised. And 100%. so, yeah, very, very exciting for him. He's, he's a great player. And like you said, very well liked already. Yeah. If you want to know how good of a kid he is, he, um, we posted a reel on Instagram of him that Madison, you actually put together. So that was, that was very cool. I, I love that reel. And we posted it and literally, I'm not kidding. <laughs> 10 minutes after he lost this match against Tommy <laughs> Paul, we get a direct message in our Instagram from him asking if we can make him a collaborator on the post, which basically just means it will show up then on his Instagram feed as well. Um, and like people just don't do that. Pro tennis players don't do that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I think as he gets older and he's with teammate now, which is Federer's agency, you know, they're more and more people want a piece of him and he's going to have to say no more and more. And, um, but it's very cool to see like, you know, this young kid just, just literally DMing people just like, Hey, can you like, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to put that post on my page, like at the peak of his powers right now, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, that was incredibly generous of him to do for us. And, um, yeah. Uh, that's just, I don't know. I think that shows what kind of guy he is So for sure. And we're just so happy and lucky to have been able to cover him. Like we've talked about from NCAAs on in the tennis one app. So he's, he's definitely been very fun and amazing player to get to know and be able to help provide coverage for. So we're very lucky. hundred percent. The second thing that we learned from the quarterfinals and semifinals <laughs> Rabakina is definitely a top five player, maybe higher than that, but obviously coming off winning Wimbledon last year, there were no points. So she missed out on points. She misses out on the recognition that you get from the points because the points ultimately determine what you're ranked in the world. Right. So if you're top 10, top five, you know, that, uh, and what kind of draws you get at tournaments, the higher you rank, the better draws you get. And so she got shafted on the points, you know, that, that is the biggest moment of her life winning Wimbledon, which for most players is the one, you know, that's the one they grew up dreaming of winning. Um, it's yeah. not, it's not usually us open Roland Garros, Australian open. It is Wimbledon. And so to win it and kind of, you know, and, and I would also say that, Wimbledon had banned Russian and, and Belarusian players that year. And I think that also hurt her. Um, you know, she was born in Moscow, but she plays under the um, Kazakhstan flag. I mm -hmm. believe their federation, you know, gave her, gave her a lot of money to, to help jumpstart her, her pro career. And um, you know, that's, that's a common thing that we see in pro tennis and uh, perfect timing for her, obviously, because then she, she gets to play under a flag. Whereas, you know, everyone else that was born where she is, is not playing under a flag currently for obviously obvious right. reasons. Um, so yeah, she, she had a lot against her, I would say in the, in the last couple of months and, uh, look, she, she looks totally out there to prove herself in, in the, uh, press conference, I believe after her quarterfinal match, she, she said, you know, I, I answered all the questions at Wimbledon, so there's nothing to say anymore. Um, and she's playing like that. I mean, she's, She's serving huge, uh, just, I mean, she's very tall. I think she's so actually tall. <laughs> yeah. I think she's underreported because it said she was six feet tall. And it also says that about Azarenka and she definitely looks taller than Azarenka. She looks like she's almost like six, three. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like yeah. she's so tall. I did. I, I was looking it up because I was like, is she underreported? You know, I'm like typing this in on Google and, and I found an article <laughs> that Carolina Pliskova actually said, you know, I'm six one and she's definitely taller than me. So, um, you know, this happens in pro sports. They, people, uh, <laughs> they, they lie about height. They lie about age. They lie about weight. You know, this is kind of how it goes, but, um, obviously the height really helps that serve of hers because 
yeah, it's, it's huge. And now, you know, now she's into the top 10 with, uh, just by making yeah. the final and, um, she's going to be ranked, uh, maybe like eight or something. If she wins, I have to confirm that, but yeah, I, I don't know. Did you, um, did you get a chance to watch her play at all Madison? Yeah, I have a, a little bit, obviously. Um, I'm not on Australian time, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. sometimes I don't quite make it through all of these matches, but yeah, she, she's such an incredibly consistent player. And I just feel like she's one that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. It just seems yeah. like she's pretty flawless, especially what we've seen of her and obviously Wimbledon last year and the Australian Open. And I'm just, I was just thinking back to um, that her after she won Wimbledon, that press conference where she kind of really hadn't showed any emotion or mm -hmm. anything. And yeah. then someone had asked a question about her family and she just, that was when she just kind of broke down and kind of, that was the first time that we really saw her like break the barriers and, yeah. and show us a little bit of um, who she is. And I just feel like, like you said, she's very stoic and kind of serious, I feel like in her press yeah. conferences. So um, I think that obviously seems to be helping her on court because she just kind of is able to compartmentalize everything and yeah. It's working for her. Whatever she's doing in Australia is working. So <laughs> yeah, it's working. I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but she has beaten three past major champions in this draw, right? She beats Sviantec. Yep. And uh she beat um Ostapenko and she beat Azarenka. Yeah. I just wanna I was looking it up in tennis yeah. one app, uh, just to just to <laughs> confirm. But yeah, I mean, so that's not easy. Um, she's young and she's when she wins these matches like we said she's not like having huge reactions or anything i mean she just looks like she's on a mission and uh yeah i think you know obviously after this she'll she'll be closer to the ranking she deserves but she probably should be even higher than than what she will be obviously missing out on yeah. those wimbledon points so that was uh, a fun one to watch though for sure it's exciting yeah. for her yeah for sure we'll uh we'll, we'll talk about her a little later when we make our picks for who we think going to win the each of the finals so a little more on her later uh the number one thing that we learned from the quarters and semis Novak Djokovic makes tennis players play bad <laughs> tennis uh you know a lot of times and Serena is famous for saying this you know when she was the world number one player and even when she wasn't you know it still kind of felt like she was a little after she would say, players always bring their absolute best to play me. It's hard to be me because I'm playing tennis players at their absolute best every single time because they have nothing to lose and they want to knock me off. I don't think that happens with Djokovic. Uh, you know, <laughs> yesterday, Tommy said that he wishes he played, he would have played better, but that Djokovic made him play bad. Uh, Berrettini said that exact same thing when he lost to Wim uh, the Wimbledon final in 2021 to Novak. He said that, that Djokovic made him play bad. And I, I don't know, you know, mentally, I know I'd be very scared going out to, to play Novak. Obviously, I'm not the accomplished player uh, that these guys are, but like you can kind of think back to players that you used to play against that kind of have the feeling of Djokovic and, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's like harder to upset him versus like a Federer because Federer is like such a nice guy and you, you know, maybe you're a little more comfortable going out there, <laughs> even though like, you know, it's like, he's it's perfect. And Roger uh, Federer. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a God over there on the other side of the net, but like, I don't know. I, I think that maybe you can be a little more comfortable when you play him. Whereas Novak, he's intimidating and, um, you he know, his, very... he has a lot of very passionate fans uh, that cheer him on. And I don't know. I, I just like basically watching his matches when he is starting to, to lose some games or something, it it's just because of him. Like either he, especially in this tournament, like physically looks like he's having an issue. He's like stumbling around out there, um, or, or whatever. And then the next thing, you know, he like flips the switch. He's just like totally fine. He's playing like, you know, super long points. And this is, this is why a lot of people are saying right now, they think he's kind of like, you know, either faking or kind of hyping up this hamstring injury. I don't think he's faking it. Um, I don't know how serious it is. You know, I, I think it might yeah. just be some tightness. Um, but there, there are several moments in the match last night where he's like falling over and 
Tommy, unfortunately, couldn't capitalize early because if he would have, he probably would have won that first set because he played well in the back half of the set. Um, you know, it's tough to say if that would have happened if he was leading, if, but if it would have changed <laughs> yeah. the trajectory of that match. Yeah, but you know, I, I think you know, with that going on, even when you're playing somebody who looks injured, like it's hard enough playing against Djokovic because you know he's just like an insane tennis player, but then when he like looks like he's physically struggling, like you probably just can't focus on what your game plan is. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It, it kind of just feels like when, when Djokovic is losing that he's losing on purpose almost to like, <laughs> to like either psych the other player to, out. to like psych him out. Yeah. Or like just make it interesting or I, I don't know. It's it just because you see him play such great tennis so often, you just don't feel like he can, um, play the way he does sometimes when he starts to lose points in games, like some of the backhands he was missing. You're just like, what? Like, he, I don't know. I just, I don't think he's fake. I don't think he's losing on purpose, but there's been a lot of times in the past where I just kind of, am like, oh, does he sometimes lose a set on purpose just to like get the other player to, to relax a little bit. And then he just like pummels him after that. <laughs> yeah. Lays into him for the rest of the match. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's just not easy to play against this guy, whether it's no. him being intimidating or he's just, he's the absolute best there is out there right now, you know, by a, a little bit of a margin, I'd say. So, yeah, yeah, it's just, he's just like completely like nothing anybody's ever seen in any sport, really. Like he's just a different, a different animal, honestly, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even, it's just crazy. And, and just these players that are playing him are really good players and yeah. he makes them look not significantly <laughs> yeah, worse. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's... want to say bad because they're not bad, but like we've, t yeah. like the players have mentioned, even what he made, like what Rublev looked yeah. like in yeah. that match against him. And Rublev is an, an amazing player. 100%. And so, I mean, Tommy, Tommy Paul is a great player too. Like these, these guys are good. Yeah. He just, I mean, you know, just working Alex Demonar, then same thing with Rublev, then pretty much same thing with Paul. Paul kind of put up a little fight at the beginning, but yeah, and after that, he, he literally yeah. makes like, like you said, Rublev, who's only ranked one spot behind him in the rankings technically right now. Now, again, yeah. Djokovic should be ranked higher because he missed out on a lot of tournaments last year, but the only one spot. And he made Rublev look like he was outside the top 50 at least. So oh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what, what Sitsipas has to say about it. Uh, we're going to talk about our winners, but first we're just going to take a short break. Hey guys, welcome back to the tennis one podcast. We just finished talking about the top three things that we learned from the quarters and semis of this year's Australian open. Now we're going to talk about the finals. Madison and I have both backed somebody in each of the finals, and we're going to talk about why we think those players are going to win. We're going to make a case for them. So we're going to start with the men's final first, which is Novak Djokovic versus Stefano Tsitsipas. Madison, who do you think is going to win this one? Yeah, obviously, um, we talked a lot about him this podcast. He's kind of been our hot topic. I'm going to go with Novak. I just feel like He's hungry, ready for redemption after not being able to play in last year's Australian Open. Still had a great year. Like you mentioned, he wasn't able to play in the United States, didn't play U.S. Open, didn't play Miami, didn't play Indian Wells. He could he could be ranked a lot higher. I just think he's kind of just hungry to like prove that he's still the best. And he's 9-0 and in Australian Open finals and 10-0 and in Australian Open semifinals. <laughs> not too so bad, not as, a bad, as Novak would say. <laughs> not a bad statistic going into it. However, his opponent, Stefano Tsitsipas, he played 2021 French Open final and Stefano's put up, put up a little bit of a fight. It was not yeah. an easy match. He's up two it, sets to love. Oof. Yeah, tough um, so I think it's going to be closer than what we've seen Novak have to had to play in this Australian Open so far. I think it's going to be the toughest test as it should be. It's the final. It shouldn't. Sometimes it is a blow up, but it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm excited to see. But I think I think Novak's going to do it. Three sets, four sets or five sets. What do you think? I don't think it's going to be in straight sets. I 
I feel like tennis fans would probably, maybe they want to see it go to five. Realistically, I, I could see it going four. Mm-hmm. I think four. Could be if one it of those goes five. He loses a set on purpose to then. It <laughs> like could be that. I think it, I wouldn't be surprised though if it went five, but I th- yeah. I'm going to go with four. I think four is a realistic. Yeah. I am going to now, if I was betting on this, um, I'm sure you get value betting on Sitsipas. So I probably would bet on Sitsipas because if you bet on Djokovic, like you're not going to make that much. But if it was do or die, obviously you probably have to take Djokovic. I'm going to give a few reasons why I think Sitsipas is ready to win his first major final. You know, Djokovic is definitely on a tier by himself. Um, and I think when, when Rafa you know, depending on the surface, if he's injured, that type of thing, you kind of have those two guys as the upper echelon of, of pro tennis on the men's side right now. But right after them, I would say you have Alcaraz, who has won a major um, and is currently the world number one. And I think Sitsipas is in that category with Alcaraz and, and Medvedev. So those three guys, you know, two of them have won majors. Sitsipas hasn't, but mm-hmm. he's beating all of the you know, best players, um, like coming into this, right. He's, he's had like five previous top, you know, wins over former top 10 players. Um, he's, he's playing great. He's had, you know, insane results. I would say at the Australian open specifically, he's made the semis. Like, I think this is the fourth time that he made the semis and this is the first time he's actually made the final, but you know, he's beaten Federer here. He beat him in the fourth round. And I think that was 20, 19 and that was kind of like his breakthrough you know he's kind of this young long-haired greek kid and everybody's like oh my gosh the future (laughs) of tennis you know he's very charismatic and then in 2021 he beat nadal in the quarterfinals i believe so Djokovic is kind of the last boss he has to conquer down under um out of the big three and you know uh, he just looks ready like that win against chorich in the united cup a couple weeks ago like he'd beaten Chorich once, I think maybe it was back in 2018 or something. It was like the first time they played. But since then, he had lost three times to Chorich. And he'd had like in that one match, he had, I don't know, five, six match points and lost. Um, and couldn't do it. Yeah. And even in this match against Chorich, a United Cup, he had a lot of match points. And it, it took him a while to to close it out. But you could just see his reaction when he won that match, like how confident he looked. Um, yeah. And yeah, in this tournament, he's, he's beating good players pretty, not totally routinely. I mean, honestly, though, the semifinal last night against Hatchinoff, he had match points in the third set. It should have probably been a straight sets win. And he kind of blinked when he was serving for it there. And Hatchinoff got back in it by winning the third set. But then Sitsipas just kind of said no. And no. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that shows too, like just how strong mentally he is like, you know, it's really hard to um, shake it off when you lose match points. And I'm I, sure I couldn't imagine yeah, what's definitely going through your mind <laughs> in, the, in the semis of a slam too. That's um, a slam that you've lost in that round, the three previous times you were there. So to kind of just like shut the door after that had happened, um, I just think it shows Sitsipas mentally is in a really strong place. He's playing the best tennis of his life. Um It'll be interesting to see what the crowd will be like because both players have had a lot of um, fans from their respective countries. There's been a ton of Serbian fans there for Novak yeah. and a ton of Greek you know, fans for Tsitsipas. So I'm wondering if it's going to be like a 50-50 or if the crowd, you know, I think ultimately the crowd would kind of be for Tsitsipas as like the underdog, right? So Especially with the recent controversy this week, yeah. it might be a little shifted. Yeah, that definitely doesn't help. Um, so, so we'll see, you know, between like playing his best tennis, very strong mentally right now, possibly having the crowd a little more. Um, he hasn't lost this year. And then I, I think just it, the the unknown is what is Novak's physical condition, because right. if he was playing like he did yesterday in the first set against Tommy Paul, I think no doubt Tsitsipas would have won that set. Um, so I, I, yeah, gosh, he, he was up two sets to love on him at Roland Garros. Uh, <laughs> yeah. man, oh man. So 
that obviously is a mental hurdle, but you know, they're playing for the number one ranking as well as the first major of the year. So really exciting to see. Uh, we'll, we'll see which of us is right, but um, very I, exciting. Could yeah. go either way. It really could. I it wonder, could. I feel like CT uh made a kind of a pass at Margaret Robbie. And I feel like, <laughs> I don't know if it reached her or not, but if it wasn't an award show season, she could very well be there. If she's in the, if she was in the crowd, <laughs> would that be good or bad for Sitsi Pass? Would that, I, I mean, I, if that's like his his celebrity crush, I feel like that would make me make me so nervous. Like if someone yeah. that I was like, like that seems like that's his, like oh yeah gal. for sure that's his girl that he would give anything to be with. <laughs> she is married, but he yeah. shot a shot anyways. He took it. He took a shot. Well, you know what? <laughs> can't can't hurt. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I I don't know if that'd be good for him or not. Maybe. I mean, on yeah. one hand, like you'd be nervous, but on the other hand, you'd really want to show off. You would like be so focused out there on the court. <laughs> like, you know, I can't say there haven't been moments when I was in high school or college or whatever. And thought I thought I was really like feeling myself playing out there. So <laughs> let's see. Let's see what he can do. Let's move on to Rubakina taking on Sabalanka in the women's final. That's tonight, very early for us. That's like, 2 30 a.m our time so i guess so technically, technically saturday tomorrow. morning yeah <laughs> yeah no doubt we'll be up for it what are you uh what are you seeing in this one madison yeah so i think it's going to be a very very good match it i i for sure see it going to three sets but i'm gonna take straight set sabalenka because she has not dropped a set this year in the australian open she's played some good players and she is just playing so well I can't even another player not making many mistakes. She just seems like she's on fire. She's such, we've talked about her feist and her, Mm -hmm. like her feistiness and her power. I just think that it's, it's going to be a battle. It is. I think three for sure though, but I think, I think she's going to get it. She's going to get her first major. She's going to come out on top. Yeah. She, um, the biggest key is, is her serve. I mean, she was last year to the point where she was hitting underhand serves in some scenarios because mentally she just, <laughs> she just lost it on the serve. And yeah. She's talked about a lot of the work she's put in in the off season and she is serving much better. She's still double faulting a little bit. There was a mat, uh, the Vekic match. Um, yeah. That, that had quite a few double faults from both players, actually Vekic even having more, but I think Vekic had like 13 double faults or something. Yet. But yeah, so it's better than it was. Um, she's, I saw her like rifling second serve aces, Sabalenka. Um, so yeah, th- this is her her best shot. Obviously, she's she's never made the final of a major, so um, she's looking good. Hasn't lost a set, like you said, but yeah. uh, she's that could also to... potentially be a demise too. I mean, that's yeah. Well, let me let me tell you why I think it might be. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna take. Elena Rybakina in this one, um, you know, the Wimbledon champ, obviously she's playing really solid tennis. We said she's on a mission. She's hitting huge off both wings. I mean, I, I made a joke that there was a video of Juan Martín del Potro a few years ago where they inserted a Thor hammer into his hand instead of the <laughs> racket, because he would just absolutely <laughs> annihilate some of these ground strokes, especially the forehand, which he's famous for. Um, she kind of looks like that sometimes she's just smoking ground strokes um for winners and so i was like somebody needs to make this video with her and the thor hammer <laughs> but in addition to her ground strokes she is serving very well um she's serving in the in the 70 percentage um for first serve like sometimes high 70s whereas sabalenka you know is kind of serving i think she's more in the 60s right now so Rubakin has got that going for her and, and the serve is just going to be so huge in this match to, to hold because um, yeah, it's not easy to break either player. Um, Definitely not. I, I think the the past major experience is going to really help Rubakin having been in a, in a major final, especially Wimbledon, which like we said, is kind of the most prestigious. So having that experience is going to be huge, especially playing in Sabalenka who, you know, has kind of, um, I would say underachieved in some situations and it always has kind of seemed to be. I would agree. Yeah. She, um, she's made major semis before, but hasn't ever been able to get over the hump. And it it just kind of always seems like it's a mental thing. And so mental block. Yeah. So, you know, now she's gotten past the mental block of not being able to reach a final. 
but is mm-hmm. she going to be able to carry that through and and close it out against somebody who's already won a major? Um, Do you think it'll go three? I think three for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and actually Sabalenka is probably the favorite, you know, she's ranked higher, obviously. Um, now again, Rabakina <laughs> doesn't have her points, but a little underrated for sure. Yeah. Underranked. Being somebody that, mo- that won a major less than a year ago and is technically the underdog um, and is serving better. Yeah. I just, I just have to go with Rabakina. Um, but we both love Sabalenka. I would love to see yes. her win. Like I've, I've um, really, really yeah, would. Been, a, yeah. been a big fan of her since she first came on tour. She's like I said, just very fun, bubbly, great attitude. Yeah. Um, she's so, so, she's so intense on court, but then off court, she's so different, which yeah. is always fun to see her real personality when she's in her post-match interviews. hundred percent. I just remembered what I was going to say about Tsitsipas. Um, and that is because we didn't talk about it on the last episode, but on episode two of this podcast, we did a draft with myself, you, Madison, and Nate Walroth from <laughs> Tennis Point. And we drafted men's and women's in different <laughs> categories, you know, like people that were on the Netflix show or top 10 players or past champs, things like that. And Nate has won the women's outright. All of our, oh, all of our players down. are out, Madison. Yep. Um, so he, yeah, he took home that crown. He took the women's, uh, we still need to figure out, you know, dinner was on the line. Do you have to win both to get the dinner? Uh, do you get two dinners if you win the men's and women's <laughs> we'll see because I'm still in it on the men's side. I'm down one point to Nate. He has Djokovic and I have Sitsipas. So if Sitsipas wins, we will be tied and then Sitsipas will have the head to head. So I will win if Sitsipas can get this done. So I'm a little biased picking him, but the pressure is on though. Oh, Nate, if you're listening, <laughs> it's going to be a good one. We might have to call each other and, and listen to this live. Who knows? But <laughs> uh, watch the match live. That is, but yeah, it's uh, going to be two fun finals. I'm excited to, oh, man, first major final of the year is, is tonight. So it's exciting. This is what we're here for as tennis fans. No. And I I know we said this last episode, but I really do think either one of these finals could go either way. I yeah. really believe that. I think there are four very, very good players participating in this Australian Open final. Yeah, definitely. You On the men's side, you definitely got what you wanted in terms of the final. Like th- these are the two guys that are, are playing the best tennis of anybody um, and, you know, have the most experience in terms of like best of five and obviously since boss is younger and hasn't won majors, but like he's been around and he's been in this situation before. So that's what you want at the, at the end of a final on the women's side, two really strong players as well. Obviously, you know, there were some players seated higher than them, ranked higher than them, but mm-hmm. still it's, it's better in my view than sort of getting somebody like Magda Lynette, you know, you love to see a Cinderella story, but I don't think that it draws the viewers that, you right. know some players that kind of have a history of being good do so mm-hmm. yeah fun finals like you said could go either way yeah Djokovic probably is the most favorite of any of the four but for sure we'll you see you never know <laughs> you never know you never know anything especially when it comes to Djokovic anything can happen so it really can so oh, all right man it's been fun. It's been fun. Conclusion. Make sure uh, everybody, again, this is on Spotify now. So you can listen to it in Tennis One. You can listen to it in Spotify. We're going to do an episode on Monday, recapping the 2023 Australian Open first major of the year. And uh, excited to watch the finals. Shoot us a comment in, in the app if you if you want. Or, on, you know, leave us a review. Rate us. We're, we're new to this. So we're just, yeah, any feedback is, is great. 